0: So if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea, chapter 6. We are going to be concluding that chapter as we look at verses 4 through 11 this evening. The book of Hosea in the Old Testament after the prophet Daniel. before the prophet Joel was right. The book of Hosea, chapter 6. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's holy word, join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we now open your word, we pray that your spirit would press its truth deeply in our hearts this evening. O Lord, we thank you that your word is complete true. There is no fault or error in it. And so, O Lord, we pray that you would teach us. Teach us your word, Lord. Oh, we, we love your word. We love your precepts. And we want to know them more. Bless us now as we consider these very verses. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear now the holy, the inspired, and the inerrant and infallible word of God written for you and for me today. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But like men, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. As bands of robbers lie and wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. I've seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. Amen. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, congregation of the Lord, God manifests his holiness, declares his truth, and is faithful in keeping his covenant. These three things, among others, are abundantly clear in many places throughout Scripture, but even here in Hosea. And yet in the midst of their sin and lawbreaking, though he could rightly do so, God didn't cut off his people with a single word, but rather he raised up men to prophesy his truth to his rebellious children, calling them to stop and to return to him. Never forget that God pursues his people with mercy in the midst of judgments. He gave well-sufficient warning to them, didn't he, regarding the wrath to come if they didn't obey. And yet they marched on down the path leading to darkness. And as judgment begins with the house of God, how does the Lord deal with sinful children? Well, Like the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And so out of love, his chastening often looks like him bringing us to our knees in humility. He often brings us to the end of ourselves. We are broken so that we would have true sorrow for our sins coupled with genuine repentance. And we are broken in sin and yet lifted up by Christ. We are broken in sin, and yet we are lifted up by Christ. This is the very scene that we see, the the conversation that we observe at the beginning of chapter 6, isn't it? A call to return to the Lord. A recognition that the affliction that they had already experienced was from God's hand, as well as looking forward to what only he could do and what they prayed that he would do. Having been torn, they they needed the healing that King Jerob and no one else could provide, though they sought it. They desired the Lord's work in reviving them and raising them up on the third day, that they would live in his sight. How marvelous, beloved, is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for his saints, for he was torn, he was stricken and afflicted for us, that through his life, death, and resurrection, we would be raised from death to new life in him, as well as have the great promise that we will be raised to live eternally in his sight and in wonderful communion with him. And indeed, powerfully, we see the work of Christ pointed to in those first few verses here in Hosea 6. Praise the Lord. And yet the perfectly faithful God was in covenant with those who were faithless. They were unfaithful to him. And what would he do with them? This is what he addresses in our text tonight. And so let's consider Hosea's words regarding God's faithless people in 4 and 5. God's desire for mercy and knowledge in verse 6, as well as Israel's transgression and treachery that he speaks of in verses 7 through 11. And so as God begins to address his faithless and unfaithful people in verse 4, what does he say? He says, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. My friends, as you consider these questions, some of you may be thinking, well, why did God ask these questions? He already told Israel and Judah what he would do because of their sin, or, like human parents can find themselves at a loss not knowing what to do with their rebellious child or their rebellious children, was the Infinite God saying that he was at a loss in knowing what to do or how to handle his rebellious people? No, not at all. God is omniscient. He's perfect and true. He knew exactly what to do in rightly and righteously dealing with his people. And so why did God ask such questions? Well, he spoke in a manner to show how unreasonable the people were and how just his case against them was. Israel and Judah had no leg to stand on to complain against God as being too harsh or too severe in tearing them and smiting them as he did. For what else should he have done, the holy God of the universe, against sinful and rebellious people? What else should he have done? Nothing. As his actions were perfect and fitting, considering his holiness and considering their crime. Hosea says that their faithfulness was like what? Like a morning cloud and like the early dew that goes away. And so see a couple of things here. See how Hosea contrasts the fleeting faithfulness of the people with God's perfect faithfulness. His covenant love that the people spoke of in verse 3. They said there, His going forth is established as the morning. Note the language. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. Again, note the language. See how God's faithfulness is described to be like the consistent daily arrival of the morning. It's described to be like the consistency of the early and latter rain. And yet the people's faithfulness is like the passing nature of a morning cloud. And precipitation like dew that evaporates with the heat of the morning sun. It's there for a little while and then it's gone. Beloved, the Hebrew word for faithfulness is literally referring to a chesed love or a loving kindness. We often read of the loving kindness of God in the scriptures, and scripture teaches us much about the Hesed love of God. And know that Hesed also refers to a kindness or a goodness that is associated with such love. In Psalm 26, verse 3, we read this, For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. And again in Psalm 36, beginning in verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. And notice verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright in heart. But beloved, yet though the though God's people are to consistently display such covenant love and faithfulness to God, though we are to consistently display kindness and mercy and goodness in the context and, and really fuel such love, we fail desperately to do so as we ought. And because this was true for Israel and Judah, what did Hosea say that the Lord had done? Look at verse 5. Therefore I have hewned them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. God pursued and came after his people through the prophets, like Hosea, with strong words of reproof, of warning, of threatening. They hewn God's people with their words like axes and hammers taken to wood. Their words were designed to cut off the knots and to hew off the roughness so that the people would be fit for use for God's purposes. Matthew Henry, a well-known commentator, says this. He says, Ministers are the tools which God makes use of in working upon people. And though with many they labor in vain, yet God will reckon for the wearing out of his tools. Though sinners are not reclaimed by the pains that ministers take with them, yet thereby God will be justified when he speaks and clear when he judges. Jesus, Jesus teaches us this very truth in Matthew 11, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 11, verses 16 through 20, you can look at beginning in verse 16, we read there, but to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you. And you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But But wisdom is justified by her children. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Again, God used his prophets. He uses his ministers to come to his people to proclaim the truth to them, to call them to walk rightly, and even to return to the Lord in true repentance and faith. And though the people may have gone through the ritualistic motions, their hearts were not in the right place. Look at verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Remember how the people chase after their false gods. We've seen... God's charge about that against them many times in the preceding chapters. Remember how they crafted their idols and worshipped them. Remember how the people also appeared their, appeased their seared consciences by trying to worship God in a synchronistic way in conjunction with their idols. They wanted to worship their idols and they were also trying to worship God in the same service Bring it all together, just kind of mesh it all together and make it work. Which was not right and was completely sinful altogether. They offered many sacrifices outside of and beyond the ones that God required in his law. But what does God truly desire, does he say? Covenant faithfulness and loyalty, not mere ritual. Samuel said to Saul in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two, Has the Lord as great delights in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. So again, we see in Samuel's words to Saul these very truths that Hosea is pressing. From the words of God, what is God's desire? Consider also Jesus' response to the Pharisees when they asked him why he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Christ quoted this very verse, verse 6 in Hosea, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, when he said, When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Beloved, the, the Lord desires our hearts, not the marking of ritual checkboxes. Remember Psalm fifty-one, seventeen as well. The sacrifices of God are what? They are broken spirits, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And so Hosea says that God also desires knowledge more than burnt offering. The people offered so much of, of what God didn't value, notice, and gave him little of what he truly valued. How are we doing with this today? Our focus on obedience to and doing what God desires should be of great importance to us. Hearty, affectionate knowledge of God that that fills our minds with the reverence of his majesty. A a, a healthy fear of his goodness. A a love of his holiness. A trust in his promises to us in Christ. A knowledge of his law which is... The rule of our obedience. Knowing God's grace and his tender mercies to us in Christ are more than all of the sacrifices. He who knows God and keeps his heart only for God is doing what God desires. And though God's desire be known, the people's actions were contrary to it. Hosea said, look at verse 7. But like men, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt treacherously with me. Beloved, Israel and Judah acted like Adam. They acted like Adam, the first covenant breaker. See a couple of connections here. First, as Adam transgressed the covenant of works, so God's people were transgressing the covenant of grace treacherously and foolishly. But secondly, Adam, while in paradise, violated God's commands in his sin. And similarly, Israel and Judah violated God's covenantal commands in the promised land of Canaan. And they, by their treacherous dealings like Adam, ruined themselves by inciting God's judgment against them rather than his blessings. They should have obeyed. They should have returned to their Lord in true repentance and faith. But yet they did not. And so Hosea goes on to give them two examples of their treachery. Time and time again, haven't we in this book? Wonderfully, we've, we've seen God provide example. Here's the charge. Here's his complaint. Here's your sin, O Israel and Judah. Here are examples to show you practically what I'm teaching you and what I'm telling you is true. God is so wonderful in that. But look at verses 8 and 9 in these examples. He says, Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. As bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. And so a good question is, why Gilead and Shechem? Well, they were prime examples of cities that weren't what they should have been. Gilead was one of the six cities of refuge. It was a city of the priests and the Levites, like the other five. And and being this, it should have been a place where the mercy and knowledge of God dwelt abundantly and flourish, But what have we seen time and again? It wasn't only the people that were walking away from God. And the priests were doing the right thing. And they were calling them to return and get their act in line and come back to God as they should. Worship God as he ordered in his scriptures and according to his law. No, the priests were just as guilty as they were. The priests were corrupt and leading them astray as well. And so it should have been a place where mercy and the knowledge of God dwelt abundantly. However, again, as the priests and the Levites were so corrupt and lawless, notice what Hosea was saying there. Murder happened there. Murderers were protected there. And evil and bloodshed abounded. It's terrible. should have never been. But secondly, sin went unchecked, even among the priests. On the way to Shechem as well. And God witnessed it all. And the outcomes. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Note that. God who is holy, who is just, who is righteous. He looks at this, and what does he say? This is horrible. Why? Because his people have sinned against him so egregiously. They have become defiled in their actions. And also, he says in verse 11, O Judah... A harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. And though though God saw Israel as defiled, and though God knew Judah would fall into sin in various places and points, unlike Israel, notice that Judah wouldn't be utterly cut off. A seed would be sown that would produce a harvest of joy when God would return their captives from captivity. I'll leave you with this tonight. Meditate on the complete faithfulness of God, I encourage you. Meditate on His faithfulness, of of the perfect and the wonderful faithfulness of Christ for you and to you tonight. And as you do so, may you be more and more mindful and aware of your own sinful tendencies and being unfaithful to your covenant Lord. As you see the examples of Israel's faithlessness, and impenitence. By God's grace, may you have even more zeal to live in humility and daily repentance, thanking him for his covenant faithfulness to you, thanking him for him sending Christ for you, to save you, to redeem you from your treachery. but also study the Scriptures and learn more about what God desires. Never forget Micah 6.8 and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Prayerfully set your heart to desire what God desires and to pursue it. Prayerfully set your heart to get the stuff out that he doesn't desire, that he says shouldn't be there. Christ sets such a path for you that is life-changing, really. Christ is the example. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Christ sets the path before you that changes your life. That changes mind. Jesus has redeemed you, calling you to pick up your cross and to walk down this path. Pursue living a life full of mercy, pursue a life of growth in the knowledge of God. Know your God, love your God, and be covenantly faithful to Him and His commands each and every day. Amen. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together.